Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Washington Wellness Podcast, where we talk about all things wellness, including health, fitness, and well-being to help improve your quality of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jamal Jackson, physical therapist and entrepreneur. This podcast is for general information only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician or other qualified health provider regarding any health conditions or concerns. Let's get started with today's episode. Today, I am here with Dr. Dat Gao to discuss running from the perspective of a physical therapist. Dat is a doctor of physical therapy, board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, and an avid runner. He has been practicing as a treating clinician for eight years, has been a runner for 10 years, and often helps runners return to the activity that they love following injury. Dad, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to the show. Hey, Jamal. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, appreciate the invite. When I saw the email, I was like, looking uh, that you started podcast, man. I'm, I was so excited. <laughs> so uh, glad to be here. Definitely. Thank you. All right, Dad. So first off, do you mind sharing uh, with the audience just a little bit more about your background? Sure. Um, so I uh, I started running in uh, in grad school, um, and uh, so I you know went to the University of Maryland Baltimore. Graduated twenty twelve, and uh, you know how I started uh, just living in Baltimore. It's it's the easy running city. Yeah, you know, it started easy. Start running to the Inner Harbor. And then all of a sudden I could run around the harbor. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of those things that relieves stress, easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of equipment. Um, yeah, I worked at Mercy Medical Center for about two years and then came over to Anne Arundel when we moved to Bowie. Uh, and then been there since, you know, just kind of been growing the running program over there, Anne Arundel, uh, doing running gait analysis. And uh, yeah, it's, it's my passion. It's definitely something that I've, I've grown to uh, love. It's my happy place, you know both working with runners and seeing runners and doing running myself. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you just about with this area, um, what are some local running events that you've participated in? Uh, probably the, the most consistent one I've run in is the uh, Annapolis 10 miler. So, so that's put on by the Annapolis Striders. Uh, every year they do a series of races and, you know, obviously being a member, you can uh, sign up for, uh, the series and it's you know it's it's ranked so you kind of see and compete with not only yourself but also other runners within that within the um, uh, the group but then uh, Naples 10 miler man it's a great race um, happens every August so what it does for me it keeps me honest through the summer right. <laughs> so during the, the worst of the humidity you got to run man because you know that 10 mile is coming up you got to go across the uh, the Naval Academy Bridge it's like the worst part of it um, but luckily I got uh, as being a member of the I mean a employee of the hospital uh, they look for what's called medical runners every year and Jill uh, who's the uh, Schumacher who's the uh, now I guess the res the medical coordinator for the uh, Annapolis 10 miler mm -hmm. um, she would she would ask for volunteers all the time and I at the, eh, I'm not sure you know I've never run that much you know and then by um, when I started in 2014, Jill's like, you can do it. So I, you know, I did it that first year, it went really slow. And ever since then, I mean, I've been addicted. So, you know, it's, it's a great way to serve and run and right. then work with um, people in your community. You know, these are people that live in Annapolis, Bowie, uh, DC. Uh, they all come to Annapolis in August and they, they run. Definitely a lot of great information in case anyone, you know, does want to volunteer for that. Yeah. You, you mentioned some uh, local places. But let's talk about globally. If you could go, you know, on a run anywhere in the world, you know, right at this moment, where would you go? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so obviously I got, you know, I got two young kids. Uh, one's one years old and one's four. Um, so, so obviously my running is inconsistent at best. <laughs> there is a, um, uh, a, a Grand Canyon uh, rim to rim run like ultra, um, oh, wow. that I would love to train for and do it. A couple years ago, my, uh, my father-in-law, he turned, he turned 70 and what we did to surprise him, he came over and we're like, Oh, 
we're going to Arizona tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> we took him on a surprise trip to Sedona. And from there, we rented a car and drove up to, uh, to the Grand Canyon. And uh, I don't know if you ever, have you ever been to Grand Canyon? I haven't. It's on my bucket list, but I haven't been there yet. Man, uh, so we did the Southern Rim. And just looking down, you could see, like, it's like a whole different world. It's just a different terrain, different world. Um, and there's an ultra, you know, with, with support. Um, we can go from one end of the Grand Canyon to the other. And I actually worked with a patient this past year. Um, yeah, I've seen a, a runner, ultra runner, who's training for it. And, you know, she, she came off track and she was just telling me about it. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> you know, I, ha I have yet to do a marathon. But there's something about um, ultra running after reading Scott Jurek's books. You know, just seeing what they go through, I'm like, man, I could, you know, I would love to just unplug uh, and just test my, test my, you know, test my endurance. Just, just you know, where, where it's, it's just you, the road, the trail, and just do it. Um, but yeah, you know, with all those things, you know, preparation's key. Right, definitely. Uh, and I just am in that time in my life where maybe I could do a marathon, uh, but not maybe not ultra yet. <laughs> but that is it. All right, yeah. I mean, I definitely think you can do it. You've been running for 10 years. You have the experience. You have the drive, the passion. I mean, if that's what you want to do, I say go for that marathon. Yeah, but you know how it is. Anytime you train for um, something, you know, you just have to have a plan. Right. And the key is there, you know, not to always have to, have to be um, sold to the plan. There are days, and I tell runners this all the time, like, be easier on yourself. You might have a plan, but really, in fact, one of the, one of the studies I read uh, this morning, um, sleep. Sleep has the biggest impact on running injury. You know, if you're sleeping less than 50%, or, or sorry, if you're sleeping less than 77 hours, any less than seven hours for two weeks straight, you're 50% more prone to injury, all right? So, you know, think about it, like, it's, it's not necessary the training plan, it's, you know, it's everything else. It's, it's diet, it's sleep, it's stress level. And not just runners, just, I mean, just anything, anyone that practices or, or does any type of sport. Yeah, and I think that, you know, kind of relates to physical therapy too. Like a lot of time people think it's all about kind of like the exercises they do kind of in the clinic as far as, you know, recovering from an injury. Um, but, I mean, if you look at it, you know, holistically, there's so many different things that play a role. Um, things like you mentioned, you know, sleep, kind of nutrition, um, just so many different factors. And kind of staying in line with that physical therapy topic there. So we're both physical therapists. Um, for someone who's not familiar with physical therapy, would you mind sharing with them how a runner may benefit from seeing a physical therapist? Yeah. 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 I think when I went to PT school, it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't much of a, a topic. I think we had two days where we looked at runners, uh, running gait analysis. And uh, I wish I could remember his name. Um, but it was a great lecture. I mean, he was, he was coming in and we actually did old school running gait analysis. We would have him, you know, run on the treadmill, uh, with a, you know, old video camera <laughs> and, <watch him. laughs> and, and then how we did it as a group, we projected that image onto a screen, like onto, um, an actual like movie screen and we could, you know, watch or run and then break it down with different angles. So you know what's normal, you know what's kind of, kind of, and Brian Heyerscheidt, I mean, he's been fantastic. And if you ever listen to his podcast, he has the uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Running Podcast. It's great. So he's done a, a, a ton of research. And he does, he's done, produced a whole bunch of stuff with APTA with the running group. Um, so based on his research, you know, you know, what's normal, you know, you know what, what normal oscillation of the hip is, mm -hmm. what, what, how much knee flexion should happen. And that's all it is, you know, and, and, and obviously with running with normal running mechanics, there's always variations. You know, it's a matter of, does it, is it normal for you or does it hurt or does it cause any other, other issues? And, and, and does it, um, create any, any pain or dysfunction? Um, so not all the time will I see, uh, runners come in with no issues and they're they're they want to see a physical therapist most of the time and quite often it's the injured runner who's seen a doctor who says stop running and they they find me who's a physical therapist who says yeah you could run you could still run but you just have to change your running form a little bit 
or you just have to ease up on the mileage a little bit because it's very hard to tell someone who loves to do something to say no. And as a PT, I mean, as a person in general, um, you hear it all the time. Like running will break your knees, running will hurt your hips. You're going right. to be broken down and get a knee replacement by the time you're 65. Uh, and it, you know, I, I hate that. I hate the fact that people tell um, in the medical profession will tell active, healthy people to cut off things from their life that they enjoy doing. Well, as movement experts and strength conditioning experts, we, we have an opportunity to really educate these patients and tell them, hey, you know, you can keep it up. You just can't do this all the time. Or you have to keep it up, but you also have to add these exercises in to support the things that you're doing and love to do. Or Michael Phelps doesn't just get in the pool. He trains hard in order to swim well. Right. Being able to, to not only have that information and um, assess a runner well enough where you can give them some feedback about that, but also knowing how to approach it, you know, like, yeah, you know, there's some, some people I'm like, well, yeah, maybe you should take a break from running, but you got to give them a, a timeline and a rationale and other things they can do in, instead, uh, like a stress rasher, right? There's no way you can run the stress rasher. But what else can they do to keep up with it? So when they do go back to it, um, they're not only better, but they're also um, a better, better runner immensely in a good state where they can't compete well. So this is what drives me. You know, it definitely drives me to, to really uh, meet other medical professionals that, that do the same thing. Um, so running conferences and, and working with, um, you know, yeah, I actually got to meet Brian Heiderscheidt a couple years ago at the UVA running conference. Um, and, you know, another one, uh, Jay Dasheri, I mean, he had, I've got to meet him a couple of times at, at both the UVA con running conference and other conferences around the, the country. And, you know, those are two people that have um, great perspectives on like, you know, what a PT can do for a runner. And at some point, yeah, that, that'd be a, a goal for mine, like write a book or give a presentation or a course. Uh, just to kind of educate not only runners, but also other PTs that, that may see runners. Man, that was a great response. I think you definitely touched on, you know, so many different important points there. Um, one thing, you know, one reason why I really wanted to start this podcast was because I love, you know, the patient education aspect of what we get to do. Anything you can do to kind of help someone get back to enjoying the experiences that they want to in their life. I mean, that's, that's a huge game changer. For you um, in the clinic, what would you say are some common injuries you see runners kind of uh, come in with? I mean, I've, I've seen everything from a femoral stress fracture to IT band syndrome, uh, back pain with running, fifth metatarsal stress fractures. Probably the most, most common one is knee pain, you know, general knee pain. Yeah. And uh, you go back to it, you, you figure out what it is. Um, Medial, lateral, you know, if it's med lateral light knee pain, 9% of the time is IT band friction syndrome or pedestrian bursitis. Um, or a lot of times it's, you know, related to um, overpronation. You know, medial knee pain sometimes can stress that MCL a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, or just hip, hip weakness, you know, like this the knee pain is, is probably the number one diagnosis or issue with, with obviously uh, with running. But it, it's just, uh, again, it's just a diagnosis, right? And then you got to tease out what's driving it, what's causing it, what's changed. Uh, Teletendinitis, you know, it could be that. It could be quad tendonitis. Um, sometimes it's training error. Sometimes it's too poor sleep. Any uh, knee-type pain issue, it's not just the knee, you know. It's, you can't look at it one-dimensionally. You know, what else is affecting that patient? You know, is, right. it, is, it, is it summertime and they just busting out the sandals and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're a little more flat footed. There's a little more Achilles tightness. They're not fully extending their knee well enough. All right. Well, then all of a sudden you got patella tendonitis so, or, or even worse, Achilles tendonitis and other issues. I would say like a lot of times, and this goes back to a quote that just popped into my head. Mm -hmm. um, something that I saw that says, you know, a lot of times where you think the issue is, it's not. Yep. And so even though you may be having that pain at your knee, it can be referred due to other things going on elsewhere, kind of above or below that area of the body. Don't chase the pain, man. Don't chase the pain. <laughs> that was not always the case. And so 
Another thing, so if that's the case, those are the common injuries that you've seen. What are some kind of general things you would recommend runners do to kind of decrease their injury risk? That's, 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 it's a hard one to say. Okay. Um, BMI, BMI is probably the biggest one. You know, uh, a, a bigger runner, uh, what we call Husky runners or, or um, what we call Clydesdale runners, taller, bigger guys, um, they tend to run stiffer. Uh, and the stiffer runners will tend to be more prone to injury. Number two, training. You know, um, having a plan is good. Um, as far as how many miles you want to increase each week, how frequent you want to increase it, how intense you want to do it, and the total time you spend on the road. Any one of those, if you increase more than 30%. The rule is, the rule is 10%, but, you know, 30% is really when you do see injury. Like, you're guaranteed to get injury if you increase from um, – you know, all of a sudden you're going from 50 miles a week, or like 30 miles a week, and all of a sudden 50 miles a week. You're going to get injured. It doesn't, doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter how. It's just a matter of time of when. And then uh, strength training. Strength training is definitely the biggest thing you can do to try to prevent injury. You know, we talk about the body as, um, for running, it's like a spring. Um, you're, you're springing from one leg to the other. And it's not necessarily the muscle that creates the force for running. It's the timing mm-hmm. and the connective tissue that does it. So, you know, you look at a runner and I, I'm going to, I don't know if you can, I'm going to do this with, with just sound, but if I'm tapping my finger onto the board, onto my, my, t- my desk here, that's it. That's as much muscle force as I can produce. But if I'm in tune with my rhythm, my timing, and I can really produce the most power out of that finger. That's it. So if you can imagine, how do I build that spring up? Muscle, muscle strengthening. So if I, can, if I can make a stronger spring, I can get more out of that tendon, ligament, fascia, that soft tissue in order to bounce out of it. And for my muscle, what I'm doing is, is just is tightening the spring, getting it stronger. And honestly, that, that – Flexibility, maybe, uh, but rarely do I do find someone that has true muscle contractures. Maybe, maybe in, in most instances, it's a little bit of knee stiffness, like they can't get that full hyperextension, so they're compensating. And they're ending up, um, you know, putting a little more pressure in the patellofemoral joint. But most of the time, it's, it's muscle strengthening that, that can get them out of that rut that they're in. And who wants to, right? Who wants to? If I like running, I mean, they've, they've chosen that hobby for a reason. Uh, they can get out of the road. They can see the sights. They can, uh, you know, get out of, out of the, uh, the rut of everyday life. Um, and, and for normal people, you know, like for someone who, who does have the time, um, that might be just fine. But for most of us who sit at desks, have jobs, kids, life, everything else, it um, doesn't take much, and, and all I'm talking about is, is 20 minutes twice a week. Absolute minimum, 20 minutes. That's it. doesn't take much time. 20 minutes twice a week of muscle strengthening um, and conditioning, and obviously a more targeted progression, you know, uh, some, sort of, some sort of lunge, some sort of squat, some sort of deadlift. Uh, that's it as far as, as uh, injury prevention. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I think it's definitely important to strengthen. And some people might say, you know, that running, you know, uses kind of the muscles in the legs and that could be a form of strengthening itself. Um, but I think what Dat was really referring to was resistance training. Yep. Um, and with that, I mean, it's definitely important to strengthen the legs through deadlifts and squats and lunges, like you mentioned. But would you recommend also training any other muscles in the body aside from those in the lower extremity? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it, um, you know, like I said, going back to that connective tissue and how that, how that can generate a lot of force. You, you think about, um, I'm sure you explored like anatomy trains and the whole concept of how like, you know, the latissimus dorsi on your right can connect right into the thoracolumbar fascia and connect into the glute maximus on your left. I mean, just think about that. I mean, the whole act of running, um, so, so even going back further, like if you look at how horses were drawn, drawn uh, running in, in ancient Greece, it, it wasn't right. You know, they had 
um, pictures of horses galloping with, you know, contralateral limbs moving in different directions. And it, it didn't, it wasn't right. Um, and then look at the, the, the humans run, same idea, ancient Greece, you know, they had different pictures of how a person should run. It was like same limb, same arm, same leg, we moving forward at the same time. And, and that's not the case. So, but you watch someone run now, I mean, it's, it's natural. It's opposite limb moving in different directions that creates that, that, that normal gait pattern. So there's a reason for that. You know, you're, uh, the act of, of tightening my fists on my right hand does something that allows me to really contract my glute maximus on my, on my, le on my left side, right? Um, so it, the arms maybe add 10 to 15% more efficiency into your, your road running, like your long distance running. But imagine that over a period of time, an hour run, maybe half an hour even, um, that 10 to 15% will buy you uh, a PR or even stress off the legs so you can go a little further or faster. And honestly, the core is the connection to all that. What I always often tell patients, you know, think of your, your core as like your base. If you have a strong base, you can, you can produce more power. So, you know, if your core is weak, it's like trying to jump off a rowboat. Things are going to shift and move. But if you uh, got a strong core, you can, it's like a battleship. You can produce more power and go faster. So yeah, I mean, no one likes the term injury prevention. You know, I, I've done workshops where I say, hey, come, come see us for injury prevention <laughs> exercises. Right. Uh, what, what people love is like a performance, you know, like uh, performance-based running. How do, you, how do you run faster? How do you run quicker? Or how do you run, um, you know, um, not, not injury-free, but how do, you, how do you beat your competition? So those workshops are the ones that people tend to show up more for. Man, I love it. Just the discussion of the core and the importance that has in terms of performance and then just you know highlighting how typically when we think about you know the body we always kind of section it into parts and we kind of focus on that one part sometimes um, but really just how you mentioned how you know the opposite upper extremity has some role in terms of the running function with the opposite lower extremity i'm talking about things like those uh, fascial lines and like the posterior sling I thought that was all just really, really interesting and relevant. Yeah, we, uh, uh, James and I, we went to a, a course, uh, U.S. Track and Field holds a, holds a, a coaching course every summer at Hopkins. Um, actually, I'd be surprised if they have still space for, for this July. But who knows in, in these times with, with COVID and everything, I'm not sure yeah. if they'll do it online or not. Um, but a lot, of their, a lot of their sprinting mechanics, a lot of their throwing mechanics, um, you know, obviously it's geared towards coaches, but they encourage PTs, health professionals to show up. And if anyone works with runners, um, sprinters, track athletes, definitely take the time to, to take that course. It's a weekend course. It's not that expensive compared to like a regular PT, CEU course. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they talk about like great um, biomechanics. And honestly, I, I think a lot of the stuff that we learn as PTs is, is secondhand from coaches. I mean, coaches know this stuff so early on. They're, they're, they're immediately looking at outcomes. You watch someone run, well, how do I get them faster? So they tour around with it. They, they think about it. You know, it, it sits in your head. I'm sure, I'm sure there are two or three patients you're thinking about right now, Jamal. <laughs> like, how can, I, how can I, you know, integrate this into their workout plan or how, how can I – encourage them to, to do this in order to try to try to get them to back to sport or back to play or back to walking. Um, so, I, you know, I think coaches uh, are a, a uh, it's a great profession. And, you know, if, if I wasn't doing PT, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, coaching would probably be where I'd be. Because uh, they can't, you know, they, they, they have people looking at them for immediate outcomes and it's uh, it's all performance based it's how how can i how can i get faster you know how can i get this done uh and how can i do it safely without hurting myself you know you you, you carry that burden as a coach as well um but that was a great course and that definitely opened my eyes into like how can i um, not just look at the part or the injury uh, but also just look at the whole person you know not just the, you know what they're going through but what their goals like what they want to try to achieve Man, I didn't know that about you, about that desire to become a coach. <laughs> don't, don't sign me up yet. 
And just kind of following up with that discussion on strength training, um, another thing that I know people always talk about is kind of cross training and the potential, you know, detriment of sports specificity. So with running, would you say that there would be any benefit from a runner participating in other sports or recreational activities? Oh yeah. I mean, I, my, um, all right. So, you know, I have a, a four-year-old, she can choose to run, but I think running is a good supplement, but I'm not going to say you're going to be running all year round. One of our, one of the U.S. track and field coaches that was at that course, he was, um, uh, he was a military kid and, um, you know, his father was based in Germany at the time. So it's all Germans. Like, you know, they, they have to do some sort of swimming. They got to do gymnastics and some sort of ball sport like soccer, lacrosse, whatever. Um, especially when it comes to development, you know, at def- different stages of childhood development, you should challenge certain skills. And I think everyone should have some sort of, I think everyone should know how to swim, right? That's like basic um, survival. And then the, the ability just to enjoy that as a sport, if you choose to. Um, gymnastics is fantastic, you know, flexibility, strength, and then ball sports, you know, it's, it's, that competitions, that drive, sprinting, stopping, starting, changing directions, uh, the coordination that's involved in that, and the team play. You know, I think team sports are very important to not just um, physical development, but like mental development. You know, I think I learned so much from playing football um, through high school. You know, just developing those relationships, hard work, practice, sacrifice. I mean, mm-hmm. those are the things that sports um, can teach you, unlike anything else in the world but you know for the um recreational runner maybe who's beyond college or high school finding some sort of mind body connection uh is always helpful developing rhythm whether it's dancing uh, and you know i was mean to do a study uh at some point and maybe even go to get my phd at some point saying i gotta delve it out even more like good runners with good rhythm you know good dancers make good runners you know, if you can keep a rhythm, uh, timing, coordination, um, <laughs> I think you, you can you can change your running. You know, one of my one of my tests I, I, I put a lot of runners through is uh, varying their cadence. You know, can they can they up the cadence? Can they slow down the cadence? And what does that look like? And if they can't, you know, usually there's something there. You know, there's something there in the timing, rhythm, whether it's pain, discomfort, muscle imbalance, that just throwing them off. A good runner should be able to do that. Yeah, bury the cadence. A good athlete should be able to bury the cadence. Um, and a lot of times it's people come back from injury, ACL tears, hip fractures. We're just off. Like they don't trust that hip. They don't, they don't trust the timing. So getting that cadence in. Sports that train that, I don't know. You know, I think runners should, should um, some sort of yoga. You know, I think yoga is fantastic. Uh, there is yoga based for runners. Uh, how much of that makes them better runners. I don't know, but I do know that cross training in, in those patterns definitely varies your experience and then can improve certain aspects of your running form. Paddle boarding, stand up paddle boarding. I thought that was a fantastic way on an off day um, to train my running, working my balance, my coordination, my core control. I use kettlebells. I love kettlebell training. You know, I'm certified uh, as an HKC or hard style kettlebell certificate for the Dragon Door, and that's been great. It's, it's taken me through a lot of with, through a lot with different patients in various forms, and it's timing. It's how to do a clean, how to do a swing, how to do a Turkish getup. Um, again, varying your your experience can in varying that neuro input. Um, challenges you both as a runner and then as you know just a person you should be able to get off the floor without using your hands and then what if you were carrying a 10 pound baby how do you do that well here's a kettlebell try it out <laughs> you know yeah something that's definitely functional yep um and just to go back to what you mentioned about the cadence i know like before we've talked about uh you know like an ideal cadence and even you know using like a metronome to help uh, runners kind of find that pace. And I'm sure there's, you know, different apps that can download to their phone for that. But what would you say is the ideal cadence for running and what are the benefits for running at that cadence? Yes. So, so, so the ideal there, I don't think everyone has an ideal cadence. I, I aim for 
anywhere between 172 and 200. Okay. Um, you know, if you look at the research, obviously this goes back to like Daniel's research for the, um, I think it was like 76 or maybe it was the, I don't know, whichever the LA marathon or LA Olympics were, he looked at those runners and um, teased out their cadence and the elite runners came over um, with an average cadence of about 180, you know, and uh, there's been other research that shows us 180. If you break it down to um, Hertz, which is a rhythm, right? Like a, a sine, cosine over and over. Uh, you look at that and, and even with jump roping at 180 beats per minute, you're, you're, you're working, your Achilles is working so efficiently, not just the Achilles, but the, the um, gastroxoleus complex is working so efficiently. There's less muscle force involved. So imagine if you can work less, but still get the most efficient return on investment. And 180 was it. Um, you know, just like if you are um, taking a battle rope and your job is to swing that battle rope at a certain rhythm, there's a certain rhythm where it gets really easy. And, and typically it's, it's that, that cadence that hurts of, of 180 steps per minute. So in an ideal world, that's, that's what I'm chasing. Uh, um, is everyone going to meet it? No. Is it made for everyone? No, not really. And can you get out of rhythm? And that's, often yeah and that's often the case you know where people just get off rhythm and that's where the injuries happen or maybe that the um and typically it's the cadence is too low you know if your cadence is too low it probably means you're overstriding. uh it probably means you're you're um, impacting your joint reaction force you're probably landing too hard um and with overstriding, obviously there's a, a higher chance of crossover gait patterns and um hip drop so just because it's, it's a harder position to control um, as opposed to landing underneath yourself, you know, taking shorter, quicker steps, landing underneath yourself, 180 steps per minute. Um, you don't have to work as hard, you know? So that's where I tell runners, like if you increase your cadence, say it's 160, increase the 180, you're decreasing the amount of joint reaction force and stress in your body by almost double. All right. So if we increase your cadence by even 10%. You're decreasing the stress in your body by 20%. And that allows them to get back to running sooner. So that's what I, I coach them. And then uh, we play it. We play a cadence and it's a beat. And I can hear it in my head because I play it so much. <laughs> it's like, do, 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 do. Most of the time, it feels so hard. And then after a week or so, it feels so easy. Meaning they're not working as hard to achieve the same speed or even get the same distance. And it's such a shock to them. And Chris Johnson says this too. He's, a, he's another uh, guy out of Portland that, 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 that works with a lot of runners. Um, and honestly, I, was supposed, I was supposed to meet him this past March, obviously with oh, COVID man. and everything. Yeah. That, that, that uh, UVA conference turned into an online conference. So you know, I heard his lecture, which is you know, uh, fantastic, but it's not the same as being able to meet him, shake his hand. Uh, so Chris, if you hear this at some point, uh, let me know where you're at. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, if you train at 80% of the time, at 80% capacity, you're going to hurt yourself. Um, and that's what we do. You know, we, 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 as Americans, we just like to run and go hard and, and train at 80% capacity of a heart rate. And that's where you don't give yourself enough rest, enough sleep. Uh, your heart rate's elevated all the time. Uh, things get strained and doesn't have enough. Your body hasn't, doesn't have enough time to, to, to meet that need, meet that um, recovery time. It's cool that you uh, mentioned Chris Johnson. I mean, he's really well known um, in that world of running um, as far as, you know, injuries and getting back to running and performance. Um, one thing that I looked at um, from him actually recently was a video where he discussed the importance of kind of like the foot position, like when you run and kind of what that means. Can you go into that a little bit? Um, you know, from my experience, is foot position is only important until it, it doesn't work anymore. You know, yep. like for a lot of people, foot position doesn't, you know, when I look at runners, yeah, I look at the foot position a little bit. You know, if, if they're standing and obviously there's a lot of, lot of toes splaying out to the side, obviously the, the more like the pronate. Uh, or if they're um, high arches, they, they tend to be what's called blade runners, running on the outside edges of the feet. 
and I can tell you those, um, there are various issues with those two extremes of gait. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll try to correct it. Uh, if, if it's, they're coming in, say the, the, the guy with higher arches, uh, which kind of describes myself, um, tend to run on the outside edges of the feet. They're more prone to those stress fractures of the fifth metatarsal, the cuboid, you know, so they're coming up with those type of like underlying concerns. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we gotta, gotta get you something in, into doing something different. <laughs> maybe there's so much support or our support in your shoe. It's forcing you into supinated running, supinated running, you landing with a rigid foot and you're more likely to injure the foot, the ankle, uh, you might be more prone to the shin splints uh, or medial tibial stress syndrome. Yeah, the overpronated runner, you know, then you look at more tendon issues, posterior tib tendonitis, posterior tib issues, medial Achilles tendonitis, uh, medial knee pain. So yeah, I mean, when when it comes to pain, yeah, let's let's try to correct it. But if you've been doing this your whole life and you're doing okay with it, um, yeah, you you found other ways to compensate around it. Maybe that. Maybe you have a little more hip internal rotation and that's normal for you or um, you're, you're able to, to get into, uh, you know, maybe you have a, like a, just a general knee varus that, that allows you to, to blade run and it's fine. So, yeah, I mean, unless there's pain involved or, or actual injury happening or even sometimes performance issues, like if, if you're really seeing a runner that could really outperform what they're doing now and just kind of coach them into getting into that normal gait pattern of, you know, outside heel contact, pushing off that big toe. Yeah, maybe you can get them better. Maybe you can get them, you know, and it's it's hard to say without without watching them, you know. So that's why I think gait analysis is so important in, in both injury recovery and injury prevention. Right. I think sometimes, you know, people have this idea where they need to be, you know, picture perfect or textbook perfect in terms of, you know, how they move, in terms of their alignment and all those sorts of different things. When their reality is, you know, we're all individuals. Um, yeah. And if it's not something that's, you know, causing you an issue or, you know, causing you pain, you know, there can be some variability in the way people move and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there used to be um, uh, a runner uh, back in high school that when I was, when I was um, in track and um, he, 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 he was a super meter. I mean, I, I didn't realize that at the time. I mean, I was only, I guess, 16 when he was a senior. But he's one of the elite track runners, track sprinters out there, you know, 100 meter, 200 meter, 55 meter and indoor. Um, man, I can't think of his name. But, man, he, he would just – he had this, this knee varus type of gait and mm-hmm. would run on the outside part of his heel. And that rigidity in his ankle and foot probably helped him. So, I mean, it varies. It definitely varies. And, you know, you can't say one is better than the other. Um, yeah, I mean, look at those amputees that are, are, are running or, or adapting the gait. You know, you look at that and I'm like, man, you know, the human body is amazing. You know, that what drives you to, to explore further into the PT world, into health and human performance. Because it really comes down to, like, you know, what, what do you want out of it? Like, you know, what does your training look like? What does your mental, stuff, mental state look like? And it's hard to explain. It's hard to say, you know, to a patient. How much sleep are you getting? <laughs> you know, like, and how much, how much of authority, honestly, then this is, you know, drives me crazy. How much authority do we have as, as a PT to talk about diet, sleep, health and wellness, exercise? So, uh, so Jamal, kudos to you, man, for coming up with this podcast. I think you have a, a way to kind of delve into those topics a little bit more. Because, you know, that, that's what we want. We want a holistic approach to looking at a person, not necessarily an injury. Yeah. Even for myself, I'm looking at different primary cares, though I really need your standard primary care. Well, can I find someone that can approach it more holistically? Uh, see me as uh, a dad who is uh, also working with patients on a daily basis and a supervisor in office. So trying to figure out a way to, um, you know, look at it bigger picture, you know, why it might be certain things off, like why is my heart rate elevated, um, et cetera. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. I mean, now, nowadays especially, um, it's really important, especially as physical therapists, to kind of look at the whole person. Um, you know, there's so many different factors that can contribute to injuries or pain, 
that aren't just, you know, what you may think of as, you know, like a running injury isolated by itself per se. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about that's kind of along the same lines. Now, we talked about kind of like the technical part of running, things like uh, strength training and biomechanics and running dynamics. But to back it up just a little bit, what would you say are some things, uh, some good techniques for stretching kind of before a run? And do you recommend stretching before a run? Yeah, um, yeah that's always controversial. Like, you know, do I stretch before or after? Um, I, I always say you know, a, a good dynamic warm-up um, is, is always good before any type of physical performance activity. Um, if you have, truly have some, like, you know, muscle contractor somewhere. Yeah, definitely take that that thirty seconds a minute to really stretch something. But in all honesty, I, I don't stretch. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't stretch. I run three or four times a week. At this stage, four or five miles. Uh, I'm pushing a double stroller. You know, so so I I, I honestly don't stretch. I I find time stretch when I'm working with patients. You know, if they're doing a stretch, and I take them through. I'm like, all right, let's. I'm going to do this with you. Um, but yeah, quads, hamstrings, calves. Um, those are the big ones. And then if you can, hip, low back. Most of the time it's because your low back has been in a flex position or if you've been sitting for a period of time. Get down the floor, do some press-ups. You know, those are, the, those, are, those are so excellent for your low back. You know, it's what the low back is craving all the time, extension. For the quads, yeah, just make sure it's flexible, being able to fully flex the knee, fully enjoy the, the, the range of motion of the joints. Uh, calves, um, yeah, I'm looking for like 30, 35 degrees in weight bearing, you know, being able to get that dorsiflexion all the way up, but not always necessary, you know, at a certain age, maybe it's just stiffen up or tighten. In um, hamstrings, if you can get to 70 degrees for me um, in, in a straight leg raise, uh, that's good. You know, before I run, honestly, what I, I, I end up doing is going really slow. My first two miles, first 10 minutes, 20 minutes, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going slow because uh, I'm allowing that time to really listen, get into my body, get the day to, to fade away. Uh, and then after, after 15 minutes, usually, I'm good. I'm like, you know, in my zone, taking shorter strat, you know, to get, get in my rhythm. Um, and then afterwards, usually it's at night uh, where I'm spending some time foam rolling, uh, loosening up my, my, uh, my tight spots. And for runners, typically it's the calves uh, and the quads. You know, those are the two places I spend a lot of time on. And then I'll stretch. I, I use a yoga strap. Um, I'll make sure I get full knee extension, not just hamstring extension, not just hamstring stretch, uh, stre uh, stretching. Can I get terminal knee extension? Both comfortably uh, or if I need to I, I use a, a strap to kind of get that full knee extension especially in days where maybe I push a lot of hills if there's any tenderness in the muscle especially above the patella um, I'll take time for more that out loosen it up and then I'll stretch it stretch the quads normal muscles shouldn't be sore you know if I'm sore all the time and it's tender to the touch there's something there there's, you know either you overdid it overworked it um, if I'm expecting soreness maybe because I'd run so much um, I really don't expect to be sore unless I add a lot of hills and stuff. And so for more than 24 hours, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a break. I'll take some time off. But most of the time, it's um, it shouldn't be, you know, because I've conditioned it. And, yeah, digging it, take some time, um, feel the calf, the Achilles, get a massage once a quarter. I mean, that's always a good check-in to see, you know, what, what tight spots you got. I think those are all great points. Again, um, definitely highlighted different ways to kind of take care of that post-run tightness you may experience. Um, something else, just with the soreness, you know, like you, like Dad just mentioned, you know, if you start out, you may kind of experience that soreness because it's a brand new activity for you. Your body's still kind of adjusting and getting used to it. And it typically, you know, always normal to be, you know, sore. It's about 48 hours or so after like an activity like that, just that delayed onset of muscle soreness or DOMS as we call it. But as far as a runner just having some slight residual soreness from maybe a run earlier in the week. Is it okay for them to run with some slight soreness? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, running is one of those um, easy cardiovascular activities. It, it depends on the intensity. Am I going to go out and do four 100 meter, you know, sprints? Uh, probably not, but 
my, my pain rules are if it, if it hurts, you know, if you run a little bit, does it feel better? Great. Keep going. Uh, if it hurts, keep running. And does it get more sore? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's a good day to, to take a break, you know, uh, especially if the pain is waking you up at night or causing any symptoms where, uh, where, you know, where you really think, you know, maybe I should take some pain medication. It's when we ignore those signs. Uh, that's where injuries occur. You know, I'm a little sore. I'm going to go for a run and it's kind of nagging me, nagging me so much that I'm going to take some pain medication before I run nagging me so much that I'm going to change the way I run in order to avoid it. Now, if you're like Scott Jurek and trying to beat a time record, yeah, maybe that's a good way to do it. But if, if you're just a guy out on this road just trying to build up some mileage, you know, please take a break, man. My goal for you is to run until you're 102, you know, not necessarily to try to beat your PR for the next marathon. <laughs> now, as far as, you know, kind of like that longevity of the lifespan reaching 102, can you just talk a little bit about some of the health benefits that are associated with running? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, less people who run – get knee replacements, you know, compared to the general population, we're less likely to do that. Cardiovascularly, I mean, we're, we're looking at maintaining your, a good BMI, uh, and then keeping that variability in your heart rate, being able to increase it at a certain point, and then while you're resting, decrease it at a certain point. Now, there are negative returns, you know, there are people who, um, you know, research out there that shows that runners can heart disease a lot quicker or stenosis a lot quicker within the arteries. Those are the, those are the extremes. Those are the uh, ultra runners who just really don't give themselves time off. And then you have to wonder like, what does their mental state look like and what is their um, mental health? What's driving them to do that? So, I mean, it's, 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 you know, out there as research and out there to point fingers at running is bad for you, but it's, it's rare. I mean, for the average runner, you know, it's, it's going to be good for you. Uh, mentally, it's great. You know, for me, uh, I know my wife sometimes, like she, the other day, she's like, uh, yeah, you need to run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about, but it was something that was driving me crazy. And she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the kids. You, you go for a run tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, should, I, probably, I probably need that, that run. So yeah, the mental well-being. Uh, there's, there's, you know, osteoporosis, osteopenia, that's another one. There's some research out there that says running is not enough, just like walking is not enough. But it depends. It depends on the intensity, how frequently you do it. Uh, some of the research says, you know, you need to do uh, some more intense uh, plyometric work. Uh, it doesn't take much. You know, 40, 60 hops, various directions can can do enough to stimulate that, that bone growth. But running itself, obviously, it's better than just walking. Uh, and much better than than swimming. Not that either one is detrimental, but you know, just that that impact can stimulate obviously bone growth and uh, that protective bone growth as well. Even just from you know listening to you talk, I'm learning myself. Uh, that's just awesome. Just providing so much value to our listeners. Another thing I wanted to mention: the importance of vital signs and assessing those. I know, like a lot of times, and you know, even sometimes my I myself I forget. Um, in terms of, you know, like checking my heart rate and blood pressure and just seeing how I'm doing overall before I engage in a workout. When it comes to running, do you check your vitals kind of before, during, and after? Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think heart rate training is a great way to see how your body's responding. Um, invest in a good heart rate monitor, or if you can, a GPS tracker with a heart rate monitor. Um, sometimes a heart rate can tell you a lot, you know, you know what your, you can estimate your max heart rate, you know, it's, it's 220 miles age. Um, but then find your resting heart rate, you know, you know, like a, I don't know, a good athlete, 55 beats per minute, maybe 65, sometimes even lower for those elite athletes. Um, and that's just how hard your heart has to work in order to pump blood through your body. So if you look at someone who's, who's getting ready to do an exercise program, if you're already resting at 85 and you know your max is 185, um, I mean, by the time you hit like 115, 120, you're already at 55% of your max heart rate. That just helps determine your level of fitness. Not only that, but your level of stress at the time. So sometimes it's a good idea to take a break if you know that if you go for a little bit of run, your heart rate is is, is so much higher than what it should be. 
Um, and I focus heart rate because that's the, the, you know, obviously the, it's easy to take. Um, you, know, I, you know, we work with those bot patients all the time, uh, bariatric optimization program. So before the surgery, you tell them, you know, how to track the heart rate, what it looks like, what it means, um, and how high they need to get it in order to get that cardiovascular zone or zone at least where they're comfortable um, starting to exercise. So, uh, you know, we recommend 55 to at least maybe 80, you know, if they can get it up there. Uh, it doesn't take much. You know, those people who are out of shape, they're starting a physical activity. You know, I was doing a 30-second sit-to-stand test with someone, and they got their their 65% heart rate within 30 seconds. Being aware that's good. You know, it, the, does it affect the way I train? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll slow down. You know, a good way to train, and, and this comes from uh, Nordic skiing, and, and they're elite coaches for the Olympic program. And for anyone who does, like, has a Garmin or, or – um, or Fitbit, you know, you're thinking like zone three, which is like the green zone for your heart rate. Um, and there'll be times when you, you, you just don't know and you're just pushing yourself and all of a sudden you're like in zone four or five, you know, maybe 80% of your max heart rate. That should be about 20% of the time. You know, that's where you're, you're, you're pushing it and sprinting and doing something. That's, that's 20% of your week right there. Uh, one in five, you know, one in five workouts, you should, Try something that's a little more intense, whether it's a weight training issue program or doing sprints or hills. You know, even doing sprints and hills, I think that's a great way to train form because you, you have to find an efficient form in order to do that. Um, yeah, so that, that's what I, I, I tend to look at. Um, obviously, if you're having symptoms, uh, syncope, nausea, that's a good, that, you know, that, that's a, that, those, are red, those are not really red flags, but yellow flags, things that you should really maybe – Maybe I need to go, go see a doctor about this. Uh, every time I run, I get a, a little dizzy or I'm running. I, I feel like I need to throw up. Yeah, that's not a good time. That's you know, definitely time to take a break um, and check your vitals. You know, like I said, 220 much heart rate and then get some sort of percentage out of that. You know, what's 55% of it? What's 80% of it? And then try to keep within those two zones. Are there any uh, apps that you can use that might, you know, kind of give you that information like as you're running? Like I said, I use Garmin, mm -hmm. uh, which is a helpful way to extrapolate after my run, like what it looked like. Um, you have like a, a Garmin, obviously you're getting what your heart rate is at that time, how hard you're working, what zone you're in. Um, you can feel it. You know, there is a lot of evidence out there that you can just, you know, feel it. So running at a conversational pace, that's kind of your goal. You know, if I feel like I'm, I'm working extra hard, I'm sweating, I'm breathing harder, um, I'll walk. You know, there's nothing wrong with walking. <laughs> uh, people, runners, they always feel like they're, you know, they're not a runner unless they're running the whole time. They're running that consistent 30, 20 minutes, hour, whatever. Um, sometimes I'll hit a hill and I know that hill is going to drive my heart rate up. I'll walk, you know, especially when I'm pushing the double stroller. <laughs> um, and, and, and I do not pause my Garmin, people. I don't pause it. I just keep going. <laughs> you know, my average is my average. <laughs> yeah, so, Dad, he said the, the name Garmin quite a few times there, but I just want to make it well known for everyone listening that Dad is not sponsored by Garmin. I don't think he has an endorsement <laughs> with it. It's just uh, a product he's tried that works for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm checking really quick. I don't think I own any Garmin stock. <laughs> Well, man, you never know. You could be like a Garmin affiliate. That's something you can look into. Yeah, right. As far as um, intensity and how often you should run, I know there's been some kind of debate based on how many miles should you run within a week and what's safe. Do you have any thoughts about that? I did. Find, find a program. Find something that, that works well with your schedule. You know, there's no absolute minimum or maximum. Well, there, obviously there are maximums, but um, – there's absolutely no minimum that you, you need to try to achieve each week. Uh, it's kind of going where you can fit it in. So, so for, for a lot of runners, um, you know, I, I, I think three times a week, twice a week at minimum, you know, but if you're training for a certain race, at least three times a week is, is something you have to, have to try to try to achieve. Um, Distance wise, I don't know. It doesn't really, you know, I don't know if there's a, a certain distance. It all depends on what you're training and what your level of fitness is at that time. Uh, for a lot of the runners that are going back from injuries, I always recommend um, 
uh, interval type of training. So Ohio okay. State has a good program out there, uh, you know, where you're running maybe like five minutes and then walking two minutes. And then all of a sudden you'd be doing six minutes, seven, eight minutes, and then walking one minute. Uh, until to get to a point where you're running, yeah, like 20 minutes continuously without any problems, pain, discomfort. And then from there, I would say, all right, well, let's see what type of race you're training for. And in all honesty, I'm not a running coach. Like I, 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 um, I don't build programs for people. I, I, you know, take a look at the deficits and then figure out, you know, how to get them out of the deficit so they can get back to what their normal training plan is. Will I modify it? Yeah. If I look at the training program, like, man, this is, <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, especially those high school athletes that are getting ready for cross country season. You know, I think the mileage they have to keep up in the summer sometimes is unnecessary and unreasonable. Uh, so then they go back to running in, in the fall uh, and they actually end up with more injuries because they, they, you know, they haven't been able to keep up or obviously diet, sleep, exercise, stress, are the things that are affecting those runners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, find a couch to the 5k program. You know, if you're, haven't if you've been off for a little bit and now you're trying to get back to running but that first um continuous running of 20 minutes that's important that's you know you're building your baseline intensity wise keep intensity low you know i think there's a lot of value in some research that shows that you're building up mitochondria you're building up the um capacity of your tendons ligaments and bones in order to take the effort of running so being able to do those things is going to only help you even though it doesn't feel like you're doing much work or heavy work, you, you're doing it. You know, you're just building that up, that capacity for your body to take on the stress later on. Um, so if you look at my running, I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere near my capacity because I'm going low and slow most of the time because that's, you know, that's, that's what life is kind of handing me right now. Every now and then I'll go out and kill it, but, you know, very rarely, maybe one in eight runs I'll do that. But when you look at my race, um, it's almost 20 to 25% faster than what my normal training plan is um, in the majority, you know, for my times I'm killing it. Yeah, it's really close, but racing is much different than just training. Um, so those are the, those are the exceptions, I guess. But most of the time it's low, slow, steady, um, keeping it really easy. One, one more thing here before we kind of wrap up. Um, and it's just, you know, really related to the timing of when we're recording this podcast with this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic going on, how do you kind of stay motivated to run during this time? Oh, it's hard, man. Uh, it's definitely hard, especially when all the races are canceled. Yeah. I've had two half marathons canceled and I don't know, I'm signed up for the Marine Corps, uh, in October. So who knows, you know, I saw Boston was just recently canceled. Um, the motivation, um, you know, I, I do have like a, a group of uh, certain groups I'm in that help me stay motivated um, and people that I look up to there that, you know, continually go out there and, and keep running and, and doing it. Uh, and honestly, during this time, I mean, running is really one of the few things you're still allowed to do without having to go to the gym or do anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think I was more consistent with it, obviously with the routine, but these days with, you know, the variations in family schedule and daycare and things like that, I'm, I'm definitely off more. But yeah, my, my motivation comes from, um, usually I have to have signed up for a race. You know, I think signing up for a race, either virtually or, um, or like something like Marine Corps, uh, keeps me motivated because I know I'm going to have to perform that day. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm considered what, what you call like an accountability person. You know, if I know I have to, if I'm signed up for something or if I know someone's waiting for me uh, to go for a run, I'll show up, you know, <laughs> I'll show up. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's how I do it. That's, you know, sign up for something, be accountable. And then the motivation, you know, obviously motivation comes and goes, but it's the, um, I guess the accountability part of it that, that keeps me motivated. Yeah, and having that accountability partner can be so important. Um, just someone else, you know, who's invested in the same type of activity and interest that you are. Um, I think that can be really beneficial as far as motivation goes. Dad, thank you so much for being a guest on the Washington Wellness Podcast. As we're wrapping up here, do you mind just sharing with the audience where they can find you on the internet if they want to connect with you and learn more? 
Yeah, man. Um, first, th- thank you, Jamal. I mean, you've been um, fantastic, and thank you for for having me on. Um, and I appreciate everything you're doing here. I love seeing you grow and develop and become this uh, uh, awesome therapist. Uh, so you can find me on Facebook, uh, Gauss, D-A-T-C-A-O, Dr. Physical Therapy. Um, I also have another handle, um, Warrior PT. You know, obviously you can find me on like Instagram there. Um, but, you know, Facebook is probably the best place to engage with me. Sounds good. So that's it for this episode of Washington Wellness. We're going to have all of Dad's information on our website so that you can get in contact with him. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in. And then as always, stay well. Hey, DMV Wellness community. Thank you so much for listening to the Washington Wellness Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like the content that you heard and would like to continue with us on this wellness journey, then please hit the subscribe button so that you will receive a notification for our next episode.